welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Rookie mistake, huh? You may be seated, church. How's everyone going? Wow. Thank you, worship team. You guys were fantastic. Welcome to stay, or you can sit down if you want. This is uh, a real honor. I just want to thank Pastor Chris and Ruth for inviting me up here. It's already been just an amazing time this morning. I haven't even played a note, right? (laughs) Or actually got to preach, but I've been sitting in the service just getting closer to God minute by minute. And uh, I love being in churches that, uh, where there's an ease to discover the things of God, where there's an ease to discover the presence of God. This is a terrific church. And it stems from the leadership, yeah? I mean, it's very kind of Ruth to, to make comments about my looks, Ruth, you know? But what's interesting is that you've got a pastor who just has to smile at you and you feel like you just got saved again, right? <laughs> Lucky man, Charlie Brown. Lucky man. By the way, the Forsyth say good day. When I told them I was going to be up, he said, say hi to them for me, please. They love you guys. Um, what's the time? It's uh, how long have I got, guys? There's the clock's ticking. It's very intimidating. So 30 minutes, 30 minutes. You know, um, <laughs> I, uh, I'll be 43 in October and I've got three teenagers, 13. We celebrated our youngest birthday last night. He's 13. <laughs> he thinks he's Heath Ledger, honestly. It's a, Keep having to remind him he's not. Buddy, you live in Warrywood. You know, you go to a, a public school. You're 13, right? You, you're not a, a movie star. He's discovered this, you know, Insta story thing. So it's very funny. He gets a lot of hits on Instagram, this kid. He's crazy. He just did a couple of movies, like low-budget Christian movies. But I have to always keep his feet on the ground. Um, he's a terrific kid. Lachlan James Smith and his elder sister, Michaela, who's going to be 15 this year. She's a delight. Now, our eldest is doing the HSC and I'm teaching how to drive. So all the prayers would be welcomed and appreciated. They're terrific kids. They've actually grown up in church their whole life, from nappies to the teenage years. They've seen mum and dad get up in the morning and trek it down to church. Didn't matter what time of the year it was, how cold it was, early in the morning, putting guitars in the back of this car, setting up kids running around in their jammies first thing in the morning. They've seen it from a young age, but they've also seen the blessing of God. And... Uh, it's interesting, something amazing happened to me towards the end of my 30s. Uh, we'd, gone, we'd come to the C3 Church in 1995. Michelle and I were high school sweethearts. We got married at 20. We had kids at 24. And we went straight to church. She grew up in the Catholic Church. I didn't grow up in church, but I took myself off to the Anglican Church. And by the time we were in our late teens, early 20s, we'd found ourselves at Christian City Church because of just how powerful the move of God was happening in the mid-90s. And I remember saying to my Anglican pastor, thank you for the teaching, thank you for everything, for nurturing us, for being there for us, but there's something going on I don't want to miss out. I was probably the first case of FOMO, hashtag FOMO, fear of missing out. And he released us. He said, get lost, get out of here, go and enjoy it. He knew we were young. He knew there was something more for us, and we did, and we got radically filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, we pushed through all the crowds to get to the very front when a guy called Fergus McIntyre was praying. And when we got prayed, we hit, hit the ground like a sack of potatoes, didn't get up off the floor for a few hours, and we were never the same. 
after that. We took on the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I just say that when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, everything changes. Everything accelerates. All the colours come out. The picture comes into focus and your perspective changes. And we went on the journey of, of what I would call the active life. We served, we wrote songs, we pastored people, we came under leadership, we were compliant, we learned about the Word of God, we sat under the greatest teaching in the world, we followed our leaders and, and you know, we were given a huge opportunities and privileges and we took them and we weren't arrogant about it, we weren't conceited about it, we were very humbled but we took the opportunities and we grew in Christ and just through turning up and through plotting, that's actually how you grow in Christ, you've got to keep turning up. It's not a cliche. I'm not trying to be a walking cliche. I'm telling you, like, it's through that consistency that he builds layer upon layer, brick upon brick, inch by inch. And if you're just, you know, inconsistent here, there and everywhere, you end up actually interfering with God's work. So we just kept on turning up. 20 years went by. And in that time, in that period, I was asked to be the music director, which I very humbly accepted. And we, and we built this team out of a pretty difficult situation. But um, as we journeyed over the next 12, 13 years and making worship records and travelling and touring and everything, it got to a stage where I actually felt like I'd poured so much concrete and cut so much lantana that there was no life left. But I made a, a, a really classic mistake. I didn't read the symptoms, not because I was, you know, possessive of a, of a ministry platform, but because I felt responsible. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in life you feel responsible for something, yeah? And my, it's like my hand was frozen to the sword. Kept on going, kept on going, until there was too many signs to ignore. And what happened was, in my late 30s and when I turned 40, all the good feelings of God evaporated. And uh, suddenly the faith that was, had been working for 20 years, no longer, it stopped working. It was no longer working. And I was in a situation where the things I used to care deeply about and love, I was beginning to hate. Now, that's a really scary position to be in when you're a minister and you're following Christ. Now, I just want to reiterate, I didn't actually go looking for this. This came to me. And in life, we have to go through things like trials, boring work days, desert experiences, dry spells, you name it. But when a wall comes to you and you've been doing the active life, you've been doing the outward life as a minister, and actually God leads you, leads you back into what I would call the journey inward, that's really scary if you don't know what's going on. But... It was amazing for me because through journeying through this time with God, I actually had to come to terms with some things that I would actually never have thought or considered that I would have faced. Now, my sister's a psychologist and uh, I used to tease her for years. You know, she's a, I'm the youngest of three, two older sisters. One's a psychologist and she, whenever she'd ring me to see how I was in my early 20s, how are you, Ryan? And I'd be like, you're not allowed to practice on your family. Put the phone down, you know, it's against the law. But what do you do when you've avoided uh, talking to someone on that level for two decades and you're now 40 and prayer and the word and worship and praise is not working anymore? What do you do? And you do the journey inward. Suddenly I found myself sitting in the counsellor's chair, right? This is interesting because for a minister to say this, it's like, oh, no, 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 don't go there. You're supposed to present this polished image. Well, can I just say when I sat in that chair, for a year and a half, and I chose somebody that didn't know me, didn't know C3, didn't know me, didn't know the worship thing, didn't have a clue who Pastor Phil was. It's a really good thing. I was able to sit and go on that journey of self-awareness and of realising what was going on, that, uh-oh, someone's coming into their own. Uh-oh, someone's authentic self is starting to emerge. Uh-oh, 
someone is realizing that he doesn't agree with all of his mentors like he used to. Uh oh, someone is getting discharged as a loyal soldier. Uh oh, all of these ah moments having to come to realize that I was crossing this threshold in Christ. But I can stand here today after this four-year journey to say that even though going to a counsellor or psychologist is great, which I, and I actually encourage everybody to have that kind of perspective. It's great. It's a self-awareness tool, but transformation always did, always will, and still comes by the Holy Spirit. Our transformation comes by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm here to talk to you about the journey that I've been on. It's not a sob story. It's the good news. And it's the good news of what God does. You know, if you find yourself at a wall in the Christian walk, understand that it is not the end. It's, it's actually the beginning of a whole new day, whole new vista, whole new opportunity. That God actually wants your authentic self to emerge. Where you don't make apologies for who you are. God is shedding, shedding the false layers of self. The things that you are not allowed to take into your future. And so I've been on this wonderful journey with God and there's a particular scripture that I simply have not been able to get away from you know those scriptures that you that you read one day and it was for that day yeah you know I'm talking about well this is a scripture that I have been going back to for several months and been preaching out of because of how powerful it is for me and how pertinent it is to me and how meaningful it is to me right now And uh, it's interesting, you know, a few years ago, Pastor Phil was preaching out of Colossians. A lot of books that he'd written, messages that he'd written had been coming out of that particular letter. Right now, I think God is really shining a light on the book of Philippians. I think there's a lot in it for the body of Christ, because as it turns out, a lot of the stuff that I've been going through, many, many others have been going through all around the world. Have a listen to this. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. It says this, but whatever were gains to me... I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. But what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The thing I love about this scripture is it's reminding us that before you gain anything in Christ, you first have to lose everything. You first have to lose everything and Paul is actually talking about the unhealthy attachment or the unhealthy attachments to things. See, there are things in this life that God has allowed us to enjoy and wants us to richly enjoy. But the moment they're in competition with God, they're dangerous. They become counterproductive. And God wants us to lose that unhealthy attachment to things. But the problem with this scripture is that we grow up in this life being told that we can be whatever we want. I don't know about you, but in high school... I was tricking it out, playing the guitar and playing sport and moving with friends and hanging out. And, you know, teachers tell you, whatever. If you want to be the next Jimi Hendrix, you can. If you want to be a long-distance runner, you can. If you want to start a small business, you can. But as you journey through Christ, you realise that's not, in fact, the case. You can't just be whatever you want. And we're told to stand up for ourselves our whole life. But when you meet Christ, you don't realise that true life comes from the laying down. You've actually got to lay everything down. And that's a really counterintuitive experience. It's interesting. David said in Psalm 23, see, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, the young worshipper in me saw that as, oh, you know, he, Ryan Smith, you know, make me lie down in green pastures, long grass, beautiful glassy streams, you know, birds singing in the trees, beautiful blue sky, not a cloud in the sky. He makes me lie down and have a rest. Well, that's great. But also what David's saying is he makes me lay down everything that is in direct competition with intimacy with the Father. 
makes me lay down those things that are a huge distraction in my life. You know, I've found that the greatest power in life is not in the standing up, but the greatest power in life is a life laid down. That once you lay it down, you discover Christ. You actually discover Christ. You're walking in the footsteps of Jesus and then suddenly the lights go on. I've just done something that's completely counterintuitive, but uh uh-oh, what do I gain? An encounter with Jesus Christ and suddenly I realize the whole picture comes into focus and I, I get a glimpse of what real life is all about, you know, and that's amazing. It's an amazing thing. We've got to understand the theology of baptism. Do you do water baptisms in this beautiful courtyard out here? Do you ever do that? You go, well, why wouldn't you? I mean, you live on the central coast. It's beautiful. By the way, this is a terrific church. I walked in the beautiful courtyard out here. This is gorgeous. I'd love to see this lit up at night with a, you could do live worship outside, couldn't you? Upset all the neighbours. Oh, you do? I'd love to. Well, it's only 30 minutes down the road on a Sunday instead of the two and a half hours. Or wait a second. No, no, no. The 16 hours it took us to get from Byron to Sydney when there was the overturned uh, caravan at the Pizza Ridge exit. I don't want to talk about it. Got home so gr- grumpy and then the floorboards in the house were damaged by the people that we airbeed and beat the house to. So that was a holiday return from hell. Anyway, <laughs> I want to talk about that. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, I should. Um, you know, the theology of baptism is all about the laying down. It's funny, we, we, when we get submerged in the water, that is a figurative death with Christ. His death was literal, obviously ours is figurative. And when we go under the water, we leave the sins of an old life and the unhealthy attachments in the tomb. And when we resurface out of the water, we're resurrected with Christ, empty-handed. But what we gain is this life now, life that we enter that grace by faith and it's a new life where things are brought into our lives but because of that death the the unhealthy attachment is gone they're all sanctified we've lost everything our life is now hidden in Christ and that's and the theology of baptism really is a laying down the standing up comes after we have figuratively died with Christ all right the guts of my message this morning is quite simply this and this is the journey that I've come out of having done the full circle yeah of 20 years of an active life having to really hit that wall and allow God to do a deep work of transformation. That's when he actually breaks people-pleasing in your heart and, or, or the, you know, the, the deep root systems of pride and selfishness get broken in a greater way. When, when you come out of that and the picture comes into focus, there's a whole lot of things you see. And for me, this is a message that I've been preaching everywhere. What I want to talk about here this morning are the symptoms of a distant life from Jesus. The symptoms of a different, different, distant life from Jesus. Because we hear a theology quite often as Christians that's positive and upbeat and all the rest of it. And that's great. And we need to hear that. But we've also got to have a theology of suffering. We've got to have a theology of brokenness. We've got to have a theology that talks about coming full circle. Right? God's goal is actually not our happiness. God's goal is that he forms the image of Christ in each one of us. And can I tell you what eclipses happiness? Freedom. Freedom eclipses happiness. I loved it when you were talking about freedom this morning, Pastor Chris. By the way, you're a very funny man and you need to do some stand-up. I'm serious because if people don't listen, they miss the jokes, right? They're just one after the other, but then it's like 20 minutes later, it's, ah, you know, and then that person, probably myself, realises that the joke was on them, you know. It's fantastic, mate. It's your stand-up. No, move the pulpit. Okay, here's the first symptom. And if you want to take notes, write these down because these are good things to go back to. And I do encourage you to come tonight, not because just it's a night of worship, but do you know what? Getting into the presence of God 
There is a, a unique anointing in this place today and an ease to discover God in a new way. Things will be a little bit easier for you when you've been in the presence of God. It won't be so hard. Here's the first point. Symptom, first symptom of a distant life from Jesus is number one, trying to do this life in our own strength. Trying to do this life in our own strength, which really means when we work, live and create from a place of restlessness and anxiety. Actually, God wants us to live, create and work from a place of great interior peace. Later on in Philippians, Paul says in in chapter 4, he says, don't be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in all things by prayer and petition and so on and so forth. Basically, what Paul is saying is that anxiety is a substitute for prayer. That's what he's saying. Anxiety is a substitute for that intimacy, that closeness to Christ. Trying to do life in our own strength is when we no longer work, live and create and love others from a great interior peace. We lose it. I'm fortunate enough to teach on the Holy Spirit at the Bible College in Sydney and I've been teaching and learning myself but also passing on this understanding of perichoresis, this Greek term which has got to do with the idea of rotation inside the Trinity and God is the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit but the reason it exists in multiple personalities is because, several reasons but primarily so that glory doesn't rest, right, but also in order to love, God is love, in order to love there has to be a recipient. So It's forced to be three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And also the Trinity was the origin of creativity and collaboration, but also community. We're meant to do this life inside the concept of community. But if we focus on the Holy Spirit for a second, between the resurrection and the ascension, there's a very unique period in history. That's at the number 40, 40 days and 40 nights, which actually means the number 40. I'm not really into numerology, thank God. I'm a Christian, but I am into biblical numerics and I don't take it too far. But the number 40 means a suspended period of time. It's like God hit pause on the VCR. You can tell how old I am. I said VCR. <laughs> not on your iPhone, right? But in that period of time, he says to them, he gives them the Great Commission. He says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? How do you quantify that? I don't know about you, but I've got lots of friends that make promises they can't keep. Can't wait to see you at 21st, never show up, right? But we have a saviour who doesn't make promises he can't keep. He follows through on every command. Doesn't lie, right? That's how it's so great about Jesus is that you, it may not come at the time you expect it to, but trust me, it comes at the right time for you. Every time. And he said... He told them to wait in the city until they'll clothe with power from on high. Now, if we got Christians from every period in history in this room, from the 6th century, the 12th century, and different denominations apart around the world, they would all agree on things, what I call closed-handed theology. They would all agree that in order to be a Christian, right, we agree on the fact that God is a Trinitarian God, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he was crucified, died, and on the third day he rose from the dead, and then if anybody confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, they'll be saved. Yeah, we're all in agreement there. Closed-handed theology. Tell you where it becomes open-handed, where it starts to get really sketchy because it demands something from us, it can be really scary, is the day of Pentecost onwards. And that's where it gets really exciting. Because we, that's, that's the moment, that's a theology which talks about getting filled. And we've got to understand what's actually the point of spiritual baptism. The point of spiritual baptism and the work of the Holy Spirit is quite simply this, that we don't do this life in our own strength. Yet many of us as believers attempt to do it on a daily basis. We've got to get filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to get filled with the power of God. There's nine gifts and nine fruit. The reason it's fruit and not fruits, not plural, is because it all comes by the one Spirit. 
And those nine gifts are powerful and profound. Let me ask you a question here today. What do you think the most important gift of the Spirit is? Every time I ask that question, the hands go up and they say, prophecy, because that's what we're told to think. But the most important gift of the Spirit is the one you need right now. If I'm going to pray for someone who needs healing in a hospital, I don't need the gift of discernment. I need the Spirit of faith. I need the Spirit of healing. I need to go in there with power. Speaking in tongues is actually the platform that gets us into the other eight. It's the launch pad, the least of the gifts, but the doorway that takes us in. And the reason there's a baptism, baptism of the Spirit available to us is so that we can keep going. We can keep being worshippers. We can keep tithing. We can remain in Christ. You're not meant to do it in your own strength. You're not meant to do this life in your own strength. And the moment we do is a symptom that we've moved away from Jesus. You know, I, um, I've made a few albums since I finished up as the music director because it's really nice to be able to do worship by yourself in the studio with a producer no one else around and no gun to your head and to do it the way you hear it, to do it the way you feel it needs to be done, to actually have that total freedom with the Holy Spirit. It's a bit of a project for me. Some people go to Perisher, have two weeks at the snow. Other people travel to Paris and go to the Louvre and climb the Eiffel Tower. Some people get on motorbikes, covered in ink, go up the coast, you know, meet it. Oh, yeah, I can see there's no ink. It, for me, on oh, a oh, little moth, yeah, butterfly. No. <laughs> Oh, it's Elmer Fudd. Yeah. Um, you know, other people make worship records for kicks. That's my two weeks to the snow. And I did it. And the second album came out of this particular journey that I'm on. And I, I got this revelation through, through the journey with Christ. So many revelations. But one of them I got was that I'm not under Pharaoh anymore. I'm a free son and free sons can rest. And so I made this instrumental album with song after song after song, trying to slow everything down, not speed everything up because the world's moving at a breakneck speed. So I slowed everything down because I want to crash people's worlds so that they know they don't have to do this life in their own strength. And I wrote this down. Sons can find themselves in a place of having to prove themselves most of their life. They're normally found working from the place of performance with an insatiable drive to keep up and win the approval of their mentors, their fathers, and those that inspire them. But the sons of God are not of that kind. They've seen something way more powerful. They've seen what the heavenly father is like in comparison to the earthly fathers. They understand in the deepest places that they don't need to strive or perform in order to be received. They work, they love, they live, they breathe, and they create from a place of rest because they know they're already accepted, already approved, already loved, and already free. Not a week goes by where I don't get a text message from somebody or an email, private message on the website, phone call, someone passing on a message of somebody who has actually had, you know, been able to listen to this record either in hospital or with mental health issues or at home or struggling marriage or a faith crisis and it's brought them back to life. And I thank God for that because music is powerful. It shifts us internally, yeah? Right? Externally there's stuff going on but on the inside we relocate internally. Second one here this morning, second distant, sorry, second symptom of a distant life from Jesus is this, that we violate our limits. We begin to violate our limits. What does this mean? It means that we try to live a life he never asked us to live. You can wear yourself out trying to live somebody else's life or you can work hard at resting and staying in step with the Holy Spirit. There's only enough room for you and Jesus on the skinny road. There's only room for you and Jesus on that narrow road. And when you 
discipline yourself to stay on that narrow path, you are constantly reminded of who you really are. And you know, Paul's thorn, it's funny, I read Paul's thorn a hundred times as a teenager and then in my 20s. But you know, you turn 40 and you read it, it means something completely different. You know what I'm talking about? You read scripture one way, read it another way, several years later, it means something completely different. And you know, in my innocence and simplicity, I had this picture of Paul walking around with this great big stick sticking out of his side, you know, quite literal, crazy dum-dum, you know. And then a few years later, I'm thinking, no, 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 he means he's having a tough time in life and he just wants God to cut him some slack. Suddenly I turn 40 and I have an aha moment. Wait a minute here. It's like a blinding flash of the obvious, like a cricket bat between the eyes. I'm thinking, hang on a minute. All of these inadequacies of Paul were actually God's grace in disguise. All of the limitations that he put in his life were God's grace in disguise. He was putting a ceiling there not to frustrate him, not to torment him, but to protect him. You know, if there are limitations in your life that you're experiencing, understand this today, that it's protecting you. It's keeping you 100% reliant on God. When I was asked to be the music director, I thought, I can't do this. I'm just a guy who plays guitar. I'm just a guy who likes to bend tiny little bits of metal and hit fuzz pedals under my feet. But suddenly I was in this whole world where I had no choice but to get up and pray every day. I had no choice but to get up and fellowship with the Holy Spirit and wait on him and listen to the heartbeat of Jesus and listen to the voice of God and think, where to next? And I realized that that was not a curse, but that was actually a blessing. That was forcing me into a place of great intimacy where I learnt the ways of the Holy Spirit. Those limitations that we experience that drive us deeper into God, those inadequacies that we feel are actually His grace in disguise. They're there for our protection, not to frustrate us. And the thing, the, the, the symptoms or those, those signs that we know we're limited are things like when we're hurried, when we're restless, when we're anxious, when we're overworked, when we're scattered, we're not present in conver- conversation. And that certainly rings a few bells for me. You know, I've encouraged my family to change their language, like to eliminate the word busy. Hands up those of you who know what I'm talking about. Use that word busy. Can't be there. I'm super busy. You know, I'm like, no, no, I don't want to hear that anymore. The reality is this. We only have enough time to do the will of God. We don't have less time. We don't have more time. So if we say I haven't got time and something's going on, I'm super busy. It's either one or two reasons. It's not the will of God. Or it is the will of God, but somebody else should be doing it. And the thing is, we say we're busy, but really as believers, we need to change our language and not say I'm busy, but rather say I'm limited. I'm limited. There's only so much I can get done with the time and the energy and the calling and the oil that's on my life. And there is a theology of chopping down every mountain and pushing forward and all things are possible for the one who believes, but there's also a theology, right? Wisdom is a two-sided coin. There's a theology of slowing down of recognising our capacity and shining within the game we've been drafted for. Have a listen to what David said in Psalm 16. I identify with the person of David for many reasons. And I love what he says in Psalm 16. He says this, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. In other words, Lord, you have given me a particular measurement in my life, a particular spiritual measurement. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Boundary lines. In other words, what you've given me to do in this life I shouldn't be comparing with that one, 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 because what you've given me to do in this life is a perfect fit to my spiritual and unique genetic makeup. It's a perfect fit. It fits me perfectly. It's a boundary line that's fallen for me in pleasant places. He says, surely I have a delightful inheritance. I praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I keep my eyes on the Lord with him at my right hand and I'll be shaken. David is saying, what's the game you've been drafted for? 
When I was at university, I studied with some of the greatest musicians in Sydney and international students, and they're always pushing to go further. But do you know what the problem with them pushing was? They started to look, it was embarrassing. It was starting to look like a huge embarrassment because they were eclipsing a zone that they, were gonna, that they actually would have shone in had they stayed back a little. And I tried to be the fastest gun in the West for years on the guitar. I'd sit there trying to clock my metronome, trying to get it right, get it right, get it right. Everyone else was out surfing the break at Avalon. No, 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 I'm getting it right. No, 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 no. They're out skating, they're out at parties. No, 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 I'm getting it right, I'm getting it right. Became socially inept, trying to pull this thing off. And, but do you know what the problem is? There's always someone faster. There's always someone slicker. There's always someone with taller legs and longer fingers and better looking with that trophy girlfriend who's getting invited to play in all the great bands. <laughs> Until the light went on one day and I thought, hang on a minute, maybe God wants me to slow everything down. What? As soon as I slowed everything down, guess what happened? The power of God began to accelerate. And I started to hit one note and I could feel the power of God come up behind me. I thought, whoa, that's, that's interesting. Maybe he doesn't want me to be the fastest gun in the West. Maybe he wants me to find the perfect pace for me. Maybe I've been drafted for a different kind of game. I'm encouraging you to find that game you've been drafted for because you'll shine within that game. We can't be too active for that kind of reflection needed to sustain this life and this pace with Jesus. It's how we'll end up loving others well. You know, there's a particular author that I read and it's absolutely changed my life. I'm not much of a reader, okay? I read Guitar Play Magazine and the Psalms, you know? But uh, someone handed me this book when I hit this wall. I started at chapter 6, I read it all the way through to the end, went back to the start and read it 10 times through back to back. Now that is, my friends, a miracle. For Ryan Smith, that's a miracle. Mm. I used to get really good marks in English, right, because I'd read the back. You know what I'm talking about in year 11, year 12? Really good marks. And then I'd just fake it. And I'd use my imagination to say, you know, a recurring theme throughout the book is blah, 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 blah. Whether it was or not didn't make any difference. The teachers were so impressed with my use of you know, synonyms and onomatopoeia and descriptive words and adjectives and all this sort of stuff, they thought, bang, well, great marks. Of course, it had nothing to do with the book. My sister's a journalist, so I learned a thing or two. But anyway, I read this back to back. Ten times, bought 200 copies and gave them away. And this book was by a particular author, Peter Scazzaro, who, type A personality in New York, running a great church with his beautiful wife, but ten years in, church is exploding and his wife comes into the room one day and says, Peter, I'm leaving you and I'm leaving the church. Your leadership is not worth following. This is the only way I can get your attention. Now, how's that? She goes down to another church down the road. He's got to get up in front of his congregation and explain all this sort of stuff. A marriage crisis. Three things that were indicators he was exceeding God's boundaries for his life. God got his attention through three painful ways. Number one, anger and depression as a result of him being overworked, doing the job of multiple people. A marriage crisis which, where his wife left the church. But listen to this one. Unfulfillment which ran contrary to what Scripture promises us in Jesus. If you're feeling unfulfillment, I wonder if you're eclipsing or trying to crash through or try to violate those limitations that are there for your protection. Sweet intimacy with Jesus is found there. Number three. Number three. Another symptom of a distant life with Jesus. Feeling the need to present a polished image. Now, I know I'm talking to friends here because you're not from Sydney. I'm from Sydney, so Sydney's all this, right? But you, you live on the coast because up here, you know, you can be your authentic self. There's no pressure, right? You guys are normal. You're authentic. You're lovable. You're kind. You're not in a rush. You're not out to perform. You're not out to strive. That's why you live on the coast. That's what your reputation is. You guys are amazing. As soon as you go to Sydney, oh, no, I've got to turn it on. I've got to flick that switch. 
Nah. Honestly, if being a Christian in a fast-paced city like Sydney, it can be very difficult. Jesus says this in John 4, 23 to 24. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Everybody say truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, I'm after authenticity. He's saying, I'm not after you to come with a polished image, okay? I need you to be radically honest about where you're at. Now, that doesn't mean to say you go and post it on social media or you get on the mic in the middle of worship and you go, you know, my, my, I lost the keys to my car and my dog died. And you know, it, That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about not feeling this burden to be polished, not feeling this burden to be someone you're not and to be so polished that everyone will think well of you. No, no, be radically honest about where you're at with Jesus. That's worshipping in spirit and in truth. And here's the thing that I've found, particularly on this journey, that when you get close to Jesus, two things happen. You know what it is? Number one, he heals your image of him. And do you know what happens as a result of that? Your image of yourself gets healed. He heals your image of him, which in turn heals your image of self. We can't be succumbing to the external pressures that society has put on us. The biggest revelation out of many revelations I've learned in the last four years is this. You wait for it, here it comes. It's actually okay to not be okay. It's actually okay to not be okay. What does a minister do? And I'll I'll speak in the in the third person, but I'm going to talk about myself, who uh, you know, has done all this worship albums and played conferences and spoken over the worship team and taught people at worship college and this is what you do and that's how you put out fires and that's what this scripture means and serve, serve, serve and do this and wait on God and go, go, go. What do they do when they hit a wall, right? And they're not doing okay, but they're still in ministry. Do they resign? Is it false economy? Is the message all skewed now? Is it corrupt? No, no, no. It's got nothing to do with us. God will use us whether we're okay or not. God will still use us to bring people to Christ. God will still use us to heal the sick. God will still use us to prophesy over people and pull them out of darkness, even if you're not doing okay, because it's got nothing to do with us. The Bible doesn't spin the flaws and weaknesses of its heroes. I'll tell you why the book of Psalms is so important. The book of Psalms is critical, and it's probably coming more into focus now in the body of Christ, because the great thing about David is this, he was always moving. He wasn't standing still and moping, he was always moving. But the Psalms give us the freedom to not only process the issues of the heart, but to process the raw emotions of anger, sadness, fear, shame, guilt, sorrow, doubt, uncertainty, disturbance, turmoil. Gives us the freedom, to, but to also stay in God. God is really teaching us how to anchor in his love. And here's the last one. Maybe the band wants to come up here. That's all right. How are we going for time? Look at this. Oh, whoops. A little bit over, sorry. I don't want to, uh, I hope it's helping people because I didn't want to to eclipse the time. Uh, The last one is this. Last one is this. What's the fourth symptom of a distant life from Jesus? It's this. Anticipating judgment and punishment instead of love, grace and provision. Anticipating love and punishment instead of, sorry, anticipating judgment and punishment instead of love, grace and provision. Do you know, um, if you feel confused in your mind and with a heavy heart, and you're anticipating a heavy-handedness from God the Father, 
That's a disembodied evil spirit coming against you. That's what that is. It's not what the Father's like. It's not what the Father's like. When we start to anticipate judgment and punishment, somewhere along the lines we've gone into a tailspin in our mind and we're now building on lies and non-truth. When we start anticipating those negative things, it's not the Father's love, it's the other guy. Psalm 37 says this, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That scripture has been misappropriated far too many times that I care to remember. Some people think, take delight in the Lord, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Okay, so you do all the right things, tick all the right boxes, follow the bouncy ball and God will answer your prayers. Ah! No. Fall in love with God and he will rewire your taste buds. Fall in love with God, get closer to him and your appetite will change. Your desire for things will realign and reroute and reset and recalibrate. Suddenly you'll want the things that the Father wants and you won't even realise it because you'll go through these conscious veils of spiritual awareness and you'll think, hang on a minute, I'm somewhere else. Delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, he'll rewire your spiritual taste buds. How do we change our anticipation? Well, the closer we get to Christ, the more it all changes. Sometimes I wonder if we really know this, what I'm talking about. Because as we pray, can I just say we're humbled as we pray. Then we begin to pray from the place of humility. And it's that humility that begins to shape our prayers and everything then begins to look different. You know, God's love is not defined by our circumstances. When things go wrong, it's easy to think I've done something wrong and and relate it back to God's disappointment, God's anger. But no, no, no. We've got to get mature in Christ that our circumstances and not a definition or a symptom of God's love. Okay, in closing, I just want to say this, that we've got to understand what the antidote is if we have these symptoms going on in our life. We have these symptoms of distance and the absence of intimacy with Christ in our life. What do we need to do? Well, we need to slow down our interior world for Jesus. We need to slow down our interior world. The world on the outside is moving at a breakneck speed. It's not going to slow down anytime soon. I can tell you that now. The whole slow movement and the whole sacred slow thing, it's, it's a great thing. But really the world is going to keep on pushing forwards until there's a sovereign intervention. But it's going to keep moving. How do you actually counteract that? How do you coexist in a world that moves at a breakneck speed on the surface? Well, you've got to go three miles an hour with Jesus on the inside. You've got to slow down your interior world on the inside and give sufficient time with Jesus so that his love flows from yours to others. I'm, I'm, I move pretty quick on the outside, but my goal and my discipline is to be resting on the inside. Even with a great many things to do today, I'm going to keep it in balance. How? By slowing down on the inside. When I slow down on the inside, I speak less. When I slow down on the inside, I filter more. When I slow down on the inside, I'm sharper in the prophetic. When I slow down on the inside, I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better friend better songwriter, better worshipper, better minister, harder worker. When I slow down on the inside, I give sufficient time and space to Jesus. I cut things back in order to make more room for God so that they are not in direct competition with him. And I get my life back on the altar by slowing down. That's when we recover tithing. That's when we recover worship. That's when we recover prayer. 
That's when we recover the word of God. That's when we recover giving above and beyond, when we slow down. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.